vicious Like a dog scratched ear The pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. Who wants some of my pod? I will assume you do because you have clicked to play this episode, which is episode 24. Lauren and Hannah, who have previously been separate guests on the podcast, join me for a threesome. Uh, Adam's influence is very strong in this episode. So uh, let's not call it a threesome, let's call it a trio. As we discuss series three, episode two, Adam's Family. It first aired on 29th of January 2011. It was written by Toby Whithouse and Brian Dooley, directed by Colin Teague and as well as our quartet, of course. It stars Craig Roberts as Adam, Morgan James as number seven, Mark Lewis-Jones, the brilliant Mark Lewis-Jones as Richard, and Melanie Walters as Emma. Now you can listen in on the threesome. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They're all together ooky. Lauren and Hannah. Wow, that was that was iconic. Right then, you. That took me twenty seconds to write down the lyrics to the Adams Family. Well, that was really that was very impressive. So, um, thank you so much for welcoming and welcoming us in that way. Yeah, really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, also, what why it is ooky? They're all together ooky. It's it's mean? just it is it's just them. It has no other meaning rather than the Adams family. And now, apparently, um, Lauren and Hannah. <laughs> See, the amount of research that goes into this podcast, I tell you. <laughs> Do you know what I really want right now? Pray tell. Are you ready? Go on. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Susie's going to sing about a different kind of chocolatey biscuit. Trio! Too loud. Trio! I said that was too I loud. I want a trio and I want one now. Yeah, well, we all do, man, but listen. Do you know what this is? No, I think see, I'm a bit too young. <laughs> see, this is the cultural. This is exactly it. The cultural references that Adam does in this episode will be probably lost on the BBC Free demographic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what was that? What was that? What, I mean, I know what, this. I recognise the song reference, but this is this is the thing. Like, I so so much in this podcast, I do a reference, and literally all my co-hosts go, "What?" <laughs> It is the theme tune to the Trio Chocolate Bar from the 80s. Wasn't it a Cadbury's one? See, it's in in theme with Adam, you see. Yeah, well, we learn something new every day. Uh, Do Trio Bars still exist? I have no idea. But they were a biscuit base. They were free chocolate bits. In the advert, it looks like they opened a hatch and they poured a bit of caramel into into separate chocolate bits. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you both went, ooh. Ooh. Take, to take, me back to, <laughs> take me back to the 80s now. 
before we get on to the actual episode proper, um, we were talking in messages the other day, and it was universally agreed that before we get into it, we should have a little Craig Roberts fan appreciation society before we kick off. Definitely. Craig Roberts! <laughs> so, yeah, what, he's like... Yeah, what would, our, what would our Craig Roberts fan... You know how, like, um, you know, um, actors and singers have, like, their fandom name? I'm trying to... I don't know what we would be called as the Craig Roberts fandom. Oh. Uh, the Craigies. Craigies. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the let's Craigies. embrace it. The Craigies. Yes. But yeah, we were talking in the message like a couple of days ago. We someone, one of you said like, I don't think he's acting anymore. I think he's gone more into the directing. And literally last night before we did this record, an advert dropped for a new. I usually do cast watch separately, but I might as well do it here. Uh, an advert dropped for his new Apple TV show, uh, which he stars in with Antonia Thomas. It's like it looks like a romantic comedy. Is it a film or a TV series? I couldn't quite. It looked like a film. It looked like a standard like romantic comedy film. It's called Still Up, and the premise is from what I could get from the advert. What's the tagline? Something along the lines of they're both not sleeping but not with each other or something like that. <laughs> something something quite strange. And they they've got they can't sleep and they are literally staying up all night talking to each other on the phone and obviously some romance blossoms from that so yeah he's in some kind of quite cheesy looking romantic comedy yeah yeah back into the acting yay it's been a while isn't it but did you yeah did you ever see submarine yes yes (laughs) Yeah, I remember, yes. see, I remember seeing that in the cinema and I flipping loved that. And that was about a year before this appearance in Being Human. So, yeah, it, when he appeared in Being Human, it was like, oh, OK. Yeah, we studied submarine when I was doing my A-level media um, class. We studied submarine. So I, I wrote essays on it. So oh, really? It, it was a big part of my life um, about however long ago that was, eight, nine years Wow. So what did you, was it the directing, the script or? It was a lot on um, the, I honestly can't remember it now. That was how big a part of it it was. It was a lot um, just analysing the themes, um, who it was directed at, like um, audiences interaction, I guess, with it. Um, Mm. Yeah, that was, it was, um, was it directed by Rich Dyer yes. yes, yes, it was. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which explains why it was so great. Well, despite Hannah not remembering anything about her education, education is important, kids. <laughs> yeah, I loved Submarine, and it was really good that Craig Robertson this. He's got that really <clears throat> wonderful, subtle comic timing, hasn't he, that just runs through this episode. Being human, the casting is so, so good throughout all the series, but I think they really just hit the nail on the head with them. Um, um, Adam's casting with Craig Roberts casting as Adam um, because he just he's just perfect for the character and it just feels really nice that we finally see Robin from Young Dracula <laughs> getting to be a vampire like, <laughs> finally vindication he's all grown up yeah okay so yeah this episode I always forget that this was something that I never consider when I watch it is 
Adam as a character probably wouldn't exist if it wasn't for their planned becoming human spin-off. Would he have existed as just a one character, one episode character and then disappeared? Or would there have been something else? Because obviously I don't know why being becoming human was created. Maybe to appeal to a younger audience, I'm not sure. I I've only watched Becoming Human once, so I just I don't really associate him with that. I associate him as a strong character in being human more than anything. Uh, interesting, because yeah, I've watched Becoming Human maybe three times. Okay. Now, um, and I still think of him. Yeah, I think primarily as a being human character, but um, I think he's still yeah, Becoming Human is still very much. I'm glad that we had Becoming Human because I love his character so much that I feel like it would have been a complete waste um, to just, obviously, glad that he comes back in Series 4, but Becoming Human has a lot more, um, a lot of development for him, which perhaps is ignored slightly in Series 4, his Series 4 episode, but there's still a lot a lot to love for it. Yeah, 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 that's true. No, I really liked being uh, becoming human. I think I've watched it about three or four times, sort of over the years. And I was a little bit gutted that it didn't sort of develop into anything more. But obviously, we saw him back in series four, so we got to see a little bit more of him. Yeah, I don't know if that was a plan or not. Whether it was just a one-off series. I mean, it's been years since I've seen it. We are covering it on the show, and we'll be doing that in the next probably two or three months. So it'd be interesting to revisit it because I maybe I subconsciously I wasn't taken with it because I haven't gone back to it. Perhaps maybe you just need to watch it, yeah, with new new eyes. New eyes. Um. <laughs> All right. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting to know what came first the the plans for becoming human or Adam's character in being human. I think it must have been the plan for becoming human because. Didn't episode one of Becoming Human air after Adam's family? Or certainly after, after somewhere along the line in, in series three. But when, when yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah, immediately after the uh, immediately after Adam's family aired the first episode I, of Becoming Human. I don't recall watching that at the time. That's mad. I would have just flicked off. I think it was on the red button from what I recall. Oh, yeah, or the or their own webs because it was they had its own it had its own website as well, um. So I think it was released on there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in terms of this episode, I think it's very interesting to note that after a very different cu- last couple of episodes, what with Mitchell going into purgatory and then the pre the, the last episode of series two, they were all in the facility. Those were two deviations from this being human we know this is back to the more familiar for, for more formula of a, a character coming into the house and it being a bit more domestic isn't it yeah um i think i mean the house i guess the house isn't used a huge amount more no. than episode one but definitely yeah it's a lot less i'd yeah, there's there's definitely a domestic domesticity that isn't in the first episode, despite it involving a weird vampire sex orgy party <laughs> thing. Um, however you wish to describe it. Oh, that's very homely and comforting. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start off 
in Swansea in 1985, around the time of that trio advert, I'd like to point out. Uh, Adam and his dad are in the living room, and I was born in 1980, but that kind of living room with that kind of wallpaper and that kind of carpet, that's a big part of my growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, so that's pretty accurate. They are packing up to move house, and Adam doesn't want to go. There's a girl in the upper sixth. I think she likes me. You should see her dad. She's like a bangle. You know, the band. <laughs> even the way he delivers a line. She's like a bangle. It's, it's brilliant. If we move, I'll never get to see her norks. In, it's instant insight into exactly what kind of character Adam is straight from the off. Dirty mother. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how else to describe him. That's him. <laughs> True. Because... It is an Adam-themed episode. Other than Norks, which probably hasn't been used since the 80s, what are good words for the female chesticular area? You you came up with one the other day, didn't you? Titties? Titties! T-I-double-D-I-E-S. Titties. Titties. That's my go-to. I can't say anything else but titties. That's it now to me. All right, Lauren, you must have one. Well, you might have two, but I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, in my house we call them titifers. Titifers. That's quite cute. Yeah. <laughs> titifers. It sounds all, almost like a bird. Yeah, it does. Oh. <laughs> a blue titifer. There's a kid's. Oh, have you seen that? Yeah, have you seen the titifer? <laughs> there's a. There's a. There's a kids' program called In the Night Garden. There's actually birds called titifers on it. That, that must be it. That must be it. That's where it's coming back into my mind. See, these yeah. kids' shows get all sorts of filth in, under the radar, don't they? <laughs> I mean, if I did see some titifers in the garden, I'd probably call the police. <laughs> I've, I've just gone on boobs, thesaurus.com. Okay, that exists. Yeah, melons, bosom, hooters, knockers, mammary glands. I mean, that's just (laughs) fact. It's not really a nickname. Today, randomly, their word of the day on this website is collywobbles. Oh, okay. They they have a word of the day, not breastfeed. That's, that sounds a fascinating website. Please don't spend too long on it. It's too late. This is the whole episode now. Ranking um, synonyms for Although, boobs for the next if you, hour. If you jump about, you could have the collie wobbles. Yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, Michael, stop talking now. Yeah, please. This is another. The, every episode, there is one bit where we're just like, okay, Michael, <laughs> <laughs> enough is enough. Oh, dear. So, like I say, like Adam's references are just going over people's heads, and I know that feeling. The bangles, Annika Rice, all those kind of things. Um, he goes to feed from his mum, but his dad is insistent that he's to dinner tonight, and Adam fangs up and noms on his arm. Consensual <laughs> numbing. Remember, kids, it's got to be consensual. Um, if you had, here's a, here's a moral dilemma, if you had a child... That was a vampire. Been turned into a vampire. Would you go down the Ad- Adam's dad route and do feed them, or would you just stake them and say, "Fuck this, <laughs> I want to live my life now"? There you go. You weren't expecting that one, were you? 
Lauren, do you want to answer that? <laughs> um, I'd probably do what Adam's dad done, or I'd just say, just turn me. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's what I would go for. I'd be like, right, this isn't fair. Have <laughs> Ooh. Have you got this thing I've wanted for my entire life? So, yeah, but then, oh, I don't know about that because then they would. Obviously, they're doing it so Adam doesn't go out and kill people in the real world. But then, if they're both like it, and then it's just their mum. God, the mum would die. Oh, I don't. I don't have that moral dilemma of killing people in the real world. <laughs> I'll just. <sighs> I do. It, I do every day at work. all right so we're going loco at honolulu and annie picks up the paper and on it it mentions the box tunnel 20 on the front page nina offers her some support but annie weighs it away Uh, we learn that mitchell is having a job interview and he declines annie's offer of pancakes because who would want pancakes when he's just had some toast and he and he says i didn't drag you back from that place to make you breakfast make me breakfast annie and she says, no, but I do think I was brought back for a reason. She really was, but we don't really learn that until series four. Mitchell utters an awkward, I missed you. We missed you. Everyone. We all missed you. Uh, Mitchell clocks the newspaper headline. Box Tunnel 20. Hunt for Killer continues. And for some reason, Annie offers to iron Mitchell's paper, which is... I mean, Annie makes a lot of strange decisions in being human, but I think that's the strangest one she's ever made. It really is. <laughs> Where did she... I don't get it at all. Yeah. She saw it on the telly and goes, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, one... Um, I don't know. Have you guys watched the deleted scene that comes before... Well, that that would have Not come before while. this scene. Because in it, it's like the... This is this scene is... This episode is taking place the day after Annie gets back. The, scene, the deleted scene is of all of them recovering from the hangover, apart from Annie, of course, because she can't get hungover. Um, and it's quite an entertaining scene, but this the toast that Mitchell is eating has just been specially made for him yeah, that's by it. Annie. No one else yeah. was allowed any toast, just him. Yeah, she goes on this guardian angel vibe, doesn't she? What are your thoughts, then, on... Annie at the start of series three compared to how she's been. So, yeah, I'm. I love Annie, and Annie's probably like the character I relate to most in the show. Um, but it does. It feels quite frustrating because in series two, series one, and series two, she has. She grows into this mm. power that she has. She gets self confidence. She um, sort of. Is a she has a lot of great storylines in series two, which stand alone from the rest of the characters. Whereas immediately in this series, she's rescued by Mitchell, and then is immediately like her. Basically, I feel like her narrative in this series is just her relationship with Mitchell, which is a really interesting one to see how it develops when you know things are revealed. Um, but it's just it's a shame because she we know her as being so, so badass and she's achieved such badassery in series three in series two rather that it feels like a step back um in series three yeah unfortunately 
um, things improve um, later. But yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You say kind of step back because I think the way she, a lot of the way she is in this episode with Mitchell reminds me of before she found out the reveal of Owen, how she spoke about Owen. It's almost mm. like a dependency and a and a neediness that, like you say, she's you know turned down death so many times and she's had this power and she's overcome the being locked in her own house and it feels like you say maybe initially a bit of a backward step but i understand why they're pushing the annie and mitchell thing because you know and that's the part of why lee has done it to make it feel more painful isn't it to make it feel more Mm. painful for mitchell that what happens happens yeah it wouldn't have quite the same impact if because that's one thing i feel like as you mentioned with um owen um she sort of ignored his um bad his bad mm. side um because she wanted to be in love so badly and this feels kind of yeah, like that again. Behavior. like yeah yeah it's like oh no no i think yeah there's a big red flag that you know <laughs> mitchell because Oh, I guess she probably doesn't know that he killed all those people at the no. Institute no. last series. No. So, okay, she might get a little a little understanding there. But. Hey, Mitchell, we learn that he has a job interview, but Annie's not taking that for an answer, and she insists that she's going to come to the interview with him. I was very, throughout Series 3, I'm not particularly sure of pushing them together as a couple. I mean, I think it pays off eventually. I think, I mean, were they a couple ever, really? You know, that's debatable. But I was very dubious about it because, to me, you don't have to have, you know, human beings go out with each other for the emotional effect for it to happen, do you? You don't, you don't have to have the fallout. It's not greater because they're going out because just because they're sleeping with each other. It's about bonds and and that's why, yeah. you know... And series one and series two, we were affected by that emotionally and they weren't going out. So I don't think it needs that. Yeah, I, I agree. Because uh, I just felt like they were a bit more genuine in series one and two. Whereas this seems a bit too, as you said, sort of needy from Annie. Um, and obviously Mitchell's sort of a bit wary to start off with, isn't he? Yeah, but I think it's probably they're both being needy because Mitchell Annie's gone well you saved me from purgatory you've helped me save me oh you're quite hot yeah (laughs) you know but (laughs) but Mitchell the other side he's coming apart at the seams and to him Annie is that sanity that comfort so he fights it a lot in the series and he fights it a lot this episode but He's drawn to it because Annie's that that safety that he needs. So they're you know they're coming at it from different angles, but that's and sometimes life is that situation. Sometimes people end up with each other that you wouldn't expect because of that situation. So that I think justifies them as a relationship more, I suppose. Yeah, I think there's definitely there is sense in it. And I do get it. Do I like it? Nah. Um, I would prefer it if they are just remained friends because i think a lot of media just as you said like they feel like you know you can only have this yeah. deep bond 
if you're in a romantic slash sexual relationship where that's not true at all. And I feel like, yeah, definitely series one and series two and series four um, showed that a lot better. Um, But in terms of their own characters and also sort of how their characterizations and narratives have been going, it's sort of, I can understand why people thought like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. Um, yeah. yeah there's still that part of me about that too yeah I, I agree all right so we'll concentrate on Mitchell and Annie's storyline for a bit before we get to the Adam things and the next scene with them is in the hospital and they are on the way to their interview their advice Annie says is keep saying the interviewer's name yes Ken you're right Ken I totally agree with you Ken a woman opens the door don't call her Ken <laughs> <laughs> And I've been watching too much, I've been listening and watching to too much Barbie related stuff because all I can think of now is just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just Ken <laughs> from the Barbie movie. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. So. <gasps> oh, no, absolutely okay. do. Yeah. Then you can join me in just, just having that song going around <laughs> your head. Uh, so yeah, Annie needs to train a bit more at being a guardian angel. She pretty much single-handedly handedly ruins the interview. Uh, an extension of the scene's original joke when Annie tells him to say her name and they clock it on her desk. Mrs. Now <laughs> It's wonderful acting all round from it, but Annie's Mao, Mao, Moo. <laughs> and then Mitchell goes, uh, yes, that's right, Mrs. <laughs> how, I, like, how do you feel this scene... Is cause for me, it partly feels a little out of character for it, Mitchell, and I think part of that is because of Annie just being there yeah. and being annoying. Um, but I'm like, you know, Mitchell is a really cool, and he's always been so cool with any with a lot of things in the past, I, apart from with Lucy. Um, yeah, and he's usually yeah. been a lot better than George when a ghost is in the room, but not acknowledged the, <laughs> acknowledging them. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but I think that's part of it. He just feels a bit crowded by her so that's probably he's probably a bit hassled like you know he doesn't want her to be in that room at that time so he's just yeah annie pushes mitchell too far and he snaps to an invisible annie outside the office annie tells him to trust your guardian angel a lot of the criticism of annie in series three in particular and i think i touched on this before is she's quite bubbly she's quite breezy she's she's quite positive in her outlook and because we didn't see that initially with Annie, everyone kind of thinks that's a character change. But I don't think that's a character change. I think it's just the stuff we didn't see before the show show's timeline started. And also, I think at the very beginning of series one, she was that quite bubbly. Maybe yeah. not as much as this, but she did have, you know, in the first scene, she'd be like that that whole scene with her being awkward and making loads of cups of tea and just being all around quite bubbly. I f- yeah, I think I think people have forgotten about actually where she started from. Outside the hospital, Annie presumably has rent-a-ghosted back to the house. Uh, a man is waiting for Mitchell in a car. Richard, I love this performance of Richard. He's, he's so brilliant. He corners him and says, you're a worryingly easy man to find. We assumed you'd be keeping a low profile and then suddenly your name pops up on a job application. Mitchell is a bit sketched out, not volunteering any information. 
I'm here on behalf of the old ones, the vampire elites. They entrusted me as their agent. Get out, Mitchell replies. <laughs> Is it true how they live? All that hardcore hammer horror shit, avoiding sunlight and sleeping in coffins and that. <laughs> So this is what all the fuss is about. You know, I expected some demon. What do I find? The last Russell Brand in the shop. <laughs> and Mitchell's face, he looks genuinely cut by this. Yeah, he's not impressed. Mitch- Mitchell does get read to filth in yeah, this episode. <laughs> yeah, so he, Richard says, with me. And he gestures to the car. Oh no, I'm not going anywhere. And he says, oh, I think you are. You see... I'm here to discuss the Box Tunnel 20, and Mitchell's secret is already known by a stranger. What I like about this, in Series 3 especially, and this is probably the start of it, is they start building up the mythology of the Old Ones, because they've only really been referred to in the past. I know I know we've met some, but we're, we're learning more about them and where they're from and what their intentions are with Series 3. Yes, although I find it a little little continuity error with Mitchell being surprised about the old ones and not really knowing anything about them, whereas he know well he's called Ivan mm. an old one. Um, we always we've had this debate on whether Ivan is technically an old one or not, but um, he's called Ivan an old one, and also he knows Wyndham yeah, yeah. in the mm. final episode. But I love the way Aiden says that hammer horror and shit. Line, so I, don't, I, I, don't I think he's just playing dumb for Richard though isn't he I think he I, I don't I think he knows about the old ones I think he's a bit surprised that a, car, a carpet salesman is approaching him about it. <laughs> uh, Richard takes Mitchell to the docks and that's not a euphemism Adam hasn't appeared properly yet uh, he's giving him a lecture this is the biggest manhunt for a century and you've been strutting around in broad daylight what happens when the police catch up with you when they take your picture, all our cover is blown, entire race hidden for millennia, exposed by your weakness. And Mitchell is very cocksure that he won't get caught. Which is why the old ones contact me. They want you to join them in South America and they've asked me to organise transit. You'll travel with my next shipment. And he says, I'm not an old one, I'm 117. Mitchell chuckles, there's nothing funnier than a vampire taking the moral high ground. Underneath it, underneath the driving gloves and the business cards, we're all the same, brother. Uh, Richard disputes this and speaks of his systems in place, which we later learn of. He says, you are weak, you are craven, and your pathetic tantrums threaten us all. Mitchell snatches the money and says, this is not me accepting. Richard has a point, though. I mean, he does have a point. Yeah, yeah, we'll get on to it in a bit. I think, for the most part, he does in this episode. (laughs) Even though he's quite creepy and weird. Yeah, Mitchell... That the whole box tunnel twenty was um, arguably a pathetic tantrum, and it does risk them all finding out about vampires. Like, yeah, I can imagine like vampires being really pissed off at Mitchell. I would too. Okay, so at the house, Mitchell's watching reports of the massacre, and one of the pre- presenters talks directly to him. Our main our main story tonight is the much anticipated clash between the vampire John Mitchell and an yet unnamed werewolf. And it reads like a sports report. Prompting this response from Team Werewolf, Mitchell won't be saying that when he gets his head ripped off. There's a wolf-shaped bullet with his name on it. Mitchell's gonna get got. So it looks like this story refuses to stay dead. I've always thought, because of... It's a bit like what me and Francis discussed in the last episode, that there was a bit of men with sticks and ropes 
other side stuff going on there. But this is Leah, isn't it? It's got to be Leah directing this messaging Mitchell to mess with his head. Yeah, I'd never thought of that. I always thought it was the yeah, men um, and ropes. I'm, I'm, yeah. I always thought it was the men with sticks and ropes, but then you sort of mentioned Leah, and I thought, actually, yes, it does make sense, because she just wants to sort of keep planting the seed that it's going to happen. So it's sort of more of a self-fulfilling prophecy in the end. Yeah, yeah, it's all angled, and there's something that later on in the series in the penultimate episode where Annie meets Leah and she said that was that was you wasn't it so I think that's I, I've never I don't know why I've never connected it to be Leah before until Francis said I was like oh yeah <laughs> I've watched this so many times <laughs> in my life oh yeah of course it is it makes me wonder though like whether any ghost in purgatory or has the power to like do that yeah, with TV. I mean that's an issue yeah we 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 did go cover that, but then... My my theory is that those who are in purgatory long enough develop those powers, and maybe eventually they become Ooh. men with sticks and rope. So Leah is on her way <laughs> to getting a promotion to sticks and rope land. Like, that's, that's in her... So she's in currently in middle there. management in purgatory. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as all, with all these things, with sci-fi... What one person could say is a plot hole, someone can get work around it and go, well, actually, no, you could do it that way. So it's because it's not real life. And as far as we know, we can't be communicated to by people from purgatory. You can twist it and go, well, actually, yeah, you can do that. There's no rules. And but yeah, I've always thought it was either men with sticks and ropes or just a sign of Mitchell's paranoia. And he was having a vision, but I think it's more the Leah side. Uh, there's a nice little bit at the end of the the scene as well where they do a little teaser for the next episode where they mention Sasha, the rugby player's girlfriend who who died. That's a nice little touch, which you don't even register at the time, but it's a nice little touch. Yeah, and you also actually get that, uh, that reference, although you don't realise it at all at the time, is... Um, when um, Nina corners Adam and he's in all the cornered mm. up bit um, by the morgue. Yeah. It also appears there. Okay, so Mitchell is packing in his bedroom and he's getting all sketchy and as soon as Annie appears he starts unpacking the stuff that he was packing. Do you actually think Mitchell was seriously like contemplating? I just can't see that he was contemplating that. No, what? Yes. Just, 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 I don't know. I I'm think. just going to go to South America tomorrow. <laughs> no. Well, you know, it's a he's freak. You know, he is freaking out about this whole um, uh, mm. prophecy thing. I don't think he would have. I don't think he ever properly was going to go through with it. Um, I think he would always have been like naff not doing this but i think probably he was being like at some point thinking you know is this the best thing for me save my mm. own skin get out of here go see whether the old ones really <laughs> do live in coffins sleep in coffins and all of that yeah he wasn't even going there to save himself he just wanted the tourism. he's like trip. daisy he's all about the tourism <laughs> yeah 
Learn from the best. Um, yeah, so Annie, her little reference earlier seemed to do the trick. Image uh, has an answer phone message and he has got the job. And they all, all good jokes work in the rule of three. So now this is the third joke about this person's name. And they go, that's what her name is. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mitchell does not look particularly happy about the job offer. No, well, Scott is his tourist plans, doesn't it? And yeah, the last proper scene with Mitchell and Annie together is their walk down on the bay. Yeah, it's Annie being quite lovesick and a bit full on for where Mitchell's head head is at, isn't it? And he's trying to dismiss her positivity. He's trying to push her away. And I guess this is quite a theme for those two in this series. I think what is quite nice about this is that this scene is that we finally, all through this episode, Annie's been so really insufferably bubbly. <laughs> like, it's been quite annoying. Um, and she finally sort of get some genuine like emotion and vulnerability um which is quite nice to see it sort of it makes you realize that actually this bubbliness that she's got is it's a, oh it's just definitely of a, a mask, mask. Yeah, yeah. um it's definitely yeah i mean she's obviously a bubbly person anyway but which makes it easy but she's i mean she's really only back from purgatory as said because of george nina and above all yeah. like mitchell and so the fear and the sorrow and everything, all of those emotions that she felt in mm. series two, they're still there. Um, but it's just she's just making more of an effort, I think, to cover them up, and that she does what she does best, and is lovely and and lovely and um. And also speaking and of masks, Italy. she's pretty much doing what she did at the start of series four in a way, like overcompensating. And Hal literally says to her, "Your mask." You know, he comments yes. on her mask. You know, it, it's you know, it's, it's so yeah. visible. It's it's she's trying to as much for herself as anyone else to get say everything's fine. I think she's probably one of the most effective yeah. mask users in the show. Yeah, she's I'd a woman. <laughs> Women are better at it than men. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess also from a storyline perspective that brightness and optimism whether it's false or not it's good for the storyline because it's counteracting Mitchell's darkness isn't it if they were both just slumped going oh everything's shit <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah we need some some lightness against the angst alright so let's meet Adam properly then shall we uh, at the hospital, Nina and George have a sexy conversation about constipation and piss before Nina walks in on Adam about to <laughs> nom on the arm of his dad again. What ensues is a very overly long chase scene. It's very long, isn't it? It's not very. It's not a particularly exciting chase scene. Yeah. It's like I was watching it this time, thinking, "God, this is going on a bit." Yeah, and it's chase number one out of. Yeah. Two, yeah, three. True, actually. This episode. It's a chase episode. It's a slow episode. motion chase episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the end, Adam comes to a dead end. Am I right? Oh, there. <laughs> 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 I 
It's like saying jokes to my girlfriend. This is the same brief reaction I get. Uh, Nina confronts him with, I know what you are. And he says, then you'll know what I'll do if, if, if you get any nearer, Goldie. And again, good old-fashioned references. <laughs> At least Nina got that one. They settle Adam down and have a conversation with him. Referring to George, he gleefully says, does the FA Cup here make you wear that uniform while he's doing you doggy stuff? <laughs> uh, of feeding from his dad's wrists, from, a, from his dad, he insists, this is no, word than a, no worse than a baby sucking on its mother's tit. Speaking of his mother, she is dead and Nina gets pangs of empathy. You can't let a teenage vampire loose on the street. Adam interjects, I'm 46. Not emotionally, he isn't. Like he said, he's still effectively being breastfed. And Adam's response, well, if you're offering. <laughs> this, th- oh, this episode gosh. is full of, I mean, partly because of Adam, but so many great lines. And even George's response. Oh, can you not ask my girlfriend to suck with you, please? <laughs> yeah, the screenplay for this episode is just fantastic. So many good lines. And it's also quite an interesting take, I suppose. They're not... George and Nina aren't taking a werewolf under their wings. They're taking a vampire. So that's a slight different twist, I guess, to it, isn't it? Yeah, I but, quite well, like it. It's just well, considering how, how much Nina hates vampires. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, definitely. So yes, George reluctantly agrees to take Adam to Honolulu Heights. And just after just a couple of steps into Honolulu, Adam insults it all. It's a shithole. Annie appears from upstairs. I thought I heard the door, Annie says. And he says, oh, hello. Or did you hear my heart begin to beat a little faster? No, it's definitely the door. You sure it wasn't the buttons on my fly pinging off one by one? <laughs> you know, because of my lob on. And this is another thing that Greg, Greg Roberts does fucking brilliantly with his comic timing. Not just the, the way he did it with slime, but his hand gestures. <laughs> when he goes, my lob on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so accurate as well like that is absolutely what teenage lads are like Mm. it's so Uh, yeah it's quite an introduction to someone you don't know isn't it and Lenora's awkwardness is played wonderfully George gives him a telling off Adam is going to be staying with us for a short time as possible now upstairs you can find a room to sit and think about the way you've just behaved George gives a tour of the house, and it's not just, I guess, for Adam, it's for us, because it's the first time we see upstairs as well. Uh, the option of buck-a-fucking-roo isn't well-received. Yeah, George, is, as usual, he's useless <laughs> yeah. at talking to young people. Like, I do love this running sort of gag in the show that he just has absolutely no idea how to talk to anyone basically younger than <laughs> yeah. 20 yeah, years Yeah, this is the... First time of two moments that remind me a bit of how George was around Bernie. Yeah, which is interesting, actually. A little just diving in here with a little factoid um, that Brian Dooley, the writer, was also the writer for another Five Mets. Yes. So he did indeed also write George's and Bernie's interactions, um, which is a little, yeah, quite interesting. Adam says, I can keep myself occupied. And George responds, Oh God, of course you can. You're a teenage boy. And he rent a ghost into the room. Shit a brick. I don't want ghosts popping up here all over the place. It freaks me out. 
And George counters with, you're a 46-year-old vampire who dresses like a child. I think there's a similarity also, as well as the, the Bernie stuff. Adam has a lot of similarities with Tom as a character. Both are younger than their actual years, but obviously in different ways. But both are very young and naive because they've been protected from the real world to an extent by their parents. Although, you know, Tom by McNair, Adam by his parents, and that's why he's still a teenager in his mind, and so's Tom. Although Tom's just much more innocent and less perverted, but it's there's that same feeling about them. Yeah, that's a really interesting. I hadn't thought of that that way at all, but I complete yeah, I see I see exactly what you're getting at there. Yeah. It's sort of gone the two yeah. different directions. Yeah, I hadn't thought of Adam being like Tom at all until you sort of mentioned it. And it does make sense. He's just got a pot of your mouth. Uh, he tells Annie to make both beds just in case we and you in the night want to do that and another weird hand gesture ensues. Uh, George has given Mitchell the news about Adam and he voices his opposition. The kid's still feeding. Staying clean for me is a day-to-day, no, no, a minute-by-minute thing. And Adam overhears this and puts on the bravado of fist bumps with Mitchell. Level with me, Mitch. How do you stick with this sad ass? I think you need a new wingman. I, sir, am a registered poon out. <laughs> ah, this scene makes me uncomfortable. George goes really fucking weird here, doesn't he? It's oh, ah, I almost look away from the screen at this bit. Yeah, me too. Me too. It was actually today when I was watching it. Um, my um flatmate came in, and it was yeah, she was in this room in the room while I was watching this bit, and I was just like, oh gosh. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes sense coming out of someone like Adam's mouth because he's just a young speech marks teenager but when when george goes have you ever had sex adam you know proper ball steep sex have you touched a boob because i have loads (laughs) it's just oh no i can't oh no and mitchell's face in this as well just like (laughs) yeah george drops off and adam goes to sit down with mitch but is met with even more hostility and this is cruel from Mitchell. You don't come near me. And he goes off into the bar. Adam follows him. This is near me. This is where I told you not to be. Uh, he's not getting the friendliness of welcomes in this B&B, is he? No, not at all. <laughs> I think this is the first time I properly feel sorry for Adam. Because he actually drops his guard and asks for help. Craig Roberts just has this hangdog expression and this sad face and Mitchell was just not just immune to it. He says, Adam, here's the thing, right? I don't care. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it makes me question this whole scene. Um, it sort of makes me think about like what is Adam's what is Adam's d- deal? Because it's it's sort of passed off as oh he's trapped in the mind like mind body slash of a teenager, um, but then we have examples of other children such child mm. vampires such as Hetty who've st- who've still grown up mentally, 
Um, but Adam doesn't seem to, and so I wonder whether that's slightly because of he's just been looked after by his parents this whole time and treated yeah. like a child. Um, but then I also wonder whether it's partly because this is what his whole attitude. Um, he thinks that is what like men mm. are like because he mentions it like in the flashback when he um, you know, talks about his dad talk about knocks um and so i wonder whether he thinks that's what adults adult men are like um so i have to do this to fit in because otherwise people are gonna see me just as this like child but yeah it's, it's, ex- it's exaggerating just how young and naive he is but to him it, it's not yeah but he does go and ruin it and he says just because you're a vampire doesn't mean you have to smell like you're dead one word mitch Deodorant. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least those little packets in the magazines. Yeah, just something, Mitchell. Come on, wash your hair. Uh, And he walks in, uh, gets herself in an awful tangle about fangs. And yeah, this is another big signal of where their relationship is heading. I love that bit. That really cracked me up just her like i've never i've never thought about it not not for ages and just the look of her just like <laughs> it's like me too annie me too. Don't worry. yeah i guess annie is quite a comical performance in this episode isn't it it's you know all the facial expressions and the the, the winding of mitchell up and either winding him up or leaving him genuinely baffled Adam goes to make his leave and he says he hints that Annie will follow him to his bed. And what's best about this scene and all of it is Mitchell's angry point in the background. You see him! <laughs> so fucking brilliant. Just all the little details that are going on. So yeah, Annie offers a reference from the grave. She's clearly claimed to be someone else, someone who doesn't exist. Wouldn't they check a reference to someone who's died? You would have thought so, wouldn't you? Yeah. Normally, uh, I assume I've never sort of had to deal with references apart from giving out or getting them. But like, you would have thought they did cross-reference just to double-check that it's genuine. Because if not, anyone could do a reference for anyone. Yeah. Um, maybe, maybe I just think. Do you know when you analyse the show a bit too much? <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's definitely the case with being human, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, George clearly has some bad news, though, for their guest. Uh, he goes into the kitchen and tells Adam some bad news. Again, it's that brilliant Craig puppy dog look that he's got when he's told of the news. And then he goes into the, into the room. And even though his dad's dying on the bed, he's still offering Adam some blood. And then the door comes for his dad and he carks it. Although it played out much more emotionally than I just said. <laughs> Bye, Adam's dad. Again, like he's going for a hard time. Mitchell's being a dick to him and his dad's died. Not, not, a, not great a great time, time. for Adam. Uh, he has a heart-to-heart with George in the corridor. But yeah, George asks how he's feeling. And again, this is very familiar to the Bernie scene. He says, I'm hungry. Which was Bernie's line to Mitchell. Mm. So, yeah, very so ominous. ominous. There's a lot of... Maybe because it's partly an early episode in the series, but there's a lot of 
ominous foreboding and foreshadowing in this episode. Yeah, I think I've noticed it most this um, watch is, yeah, all the foreshadowing. Yeah, I was picking stuff up. Yeah, but it's does any of this play out in Becoming Human? I can't remember. Do, does he mention his dad or or is it just as, literally just a straight up school? It's yeah. pretty much straight up. It's a separate thing, yeah. There's some references to the show, but on the whole it's a separate thing. We see that Adam has done a runner from the window and we go on another hunt for Adam. The search takes them to Barry Island Seafront. You were a teenage boy once, Nina says. You know what they do. George is potty mouth this episode, honestly. Yeah, wank at every opportunity. There's other stuff, but none of it really registers. <laughs> I think Adam's just turned George Dark's side this episode. <laughs> Too much Adam for I mean, he's, he's even done that to this, this episode of the podcast. This is a pure, angelic <gasps> podcast, and then Adam turns up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never had any other mentions of profanity or um, yeah. at all. people's body parts. Never. None at all. <laughs> we didn't definitely didn't start the whole show with the creation <laughs> of the Stop, I ha- I, I, I'm going to have nightmares <laughs> about the bum box. Uh, they collar him before, he about to, before he's about to sink his teeth into a blonde. Adam has been tracking down. Yeah, Nina pulls him away. Says she says he's his brother. I think it is. And then along the lines of there's plenty more fish in the sea. And they take the leave. And she goes, "What are you talking <laughs> fish for?" <laughs> She's a proper sort of stereotypical dumb blonde. Isn't yeah, she? It's, it's well played though. It's, it's brilliantly played. Like I've got a fella anyway. <laughs> and it, yeah, again, also whether intentionally or not, when Adam returns to series four, there's that. It's a bit like the pre-credit scene in his episode then, where he's about to nom on someone and like Nina takes him by the shoulder this time, but it, then in that episode someone just grabs him by the ear. Similarities yeah. all through. Okay, so back at the house we get a classic being human trope, a kitchen meeting. Mitchell offers Richard as an option. And I find this a very strange thing to do, considering Richard openly knows about the box tunnel 20. And he's leading George and Nina right to him. Yeah, it's slightly odd because you'd think he'd want to avoid it. Yeah, I imagine that he's. I think he genuinely. Mitchell is genuinely trying to help. And I think this is sort of the only alternative that he views. And I imagine, you know, how Mitchell says, Oh, I will make the call mm. and introductions. And that what I'm thinking is that in that call he yeah. he makes it very clear to Richard because Mitchell can be threatening and you know Richard also doesn't want it to want True. the word to spread either so I think he makes it very clear to Richard not to mention anything about it and Richard agrees and there you go that. this is what I mean there's always a way you can work around these things you see yeah. always a way yeah <laughs> I've been on the call to Toby myself or Brian Dooley myself uh, George and Nina take. Adam to Richard's house and they are literally treated like dogs while they get all sycophantic over Adam. Yeah, I think this scene is just establishes like initially Richard seemed quite powerful and domineering. Not in that way. And now once we see him in his house with his wife, it all starts to get a bit creepy and weird. 
<laughs> it's vampires in it. They're all a bit, all a bit weird. <laughs> we get to one of my favourite scenes ever in the history of the show. Uh, Richard talks about his systems in place. So then he takes them down to the cellar. <laughs> I can't. No matter how many times I see this scene, I'm just in hysterics. They meet the gimp, or number seven as he's known. Talk about the B4267. <laughs> what makes this scene to me is where they're having this, this little chat. Is the way that Nina is flashing the light between George's face and the Gimp's face, and then back again and then back again. Oh my god, oh, it, get, it gets me every time. <laughs> it just gets, it gets me every time. Like George is just trying to take this normally, like he's in a cellar and there's a Gimp talking to him about bloody roads. Every time they're talking, one of them talks, she flashes the light between each one. And then she just pauses and goes, George, you're chit-chatting with a Gimp. <laughs> <laughs> this gets me every time. It's just one of my favourite moments. I don't know what it is. It's so it's so good, and it's also just pure being human as well. It's just such a mundane conversation, but in the midst of this absolute such a weirdness, oh, it's perfect. And then yeah, it gets even weirder. So they they go out into the big old garden, and Richard is playing with number seven like it's a puppy. And then we see the gr- well, the the tombs of the previous six people who they've been feeding on. Richard's kind of right in this, isn't he? In a way, because they are consenting. They openly want to sacrifice their lives for whatever reason. When Herrick recruited, he he did it selectively, but he still did it against people's will. They're creeping, they're weird, but he's on to something. Yeah, and also, like, with the whole Herrick thing, is that the recruiting, you don't... They don't really know what they're getting themselves into. Whereas this, they know they're going to eventually die. Yeah. That's that's it. You know, who knows who, what comes after death, but at least, you know, they're not being yeah. tricked into something. They're going to die. And they're, they're happy with that, because they die being killed by a vampire which is probably my preferred way to go as well so <laughs> give me a call Richard and Emma <laughs> I'm available <laughs> my co- my job contract runs out on December the 31st so, so 2024 so t- t- 20, 24 is your year baby <laughs> lucky n- number 8 here I come uh, Lauren what is your thoughts on feeding off gimps um, <laughs> come on we've all got a strong opinion um well obviously he's as we said he's consenting but i sort of when i've been seeing it i sort of thought of the, in series two with the goth girl yeah. that they um is it campbell yeah. got the mitchell he got them off the web like offline so i sort of saw that parallel that they'll find there'll be anyone willing to sort of yeah, it, be there for a vampire, be it just to be fed on or to be a gimp for a vampire. Yeah, the woman in series two thought it was a bit of role play, and when the reality kicked in, it was instant death, wasn't it? Whereas I guess number seven. Yeah. Yeah, he, he knows that he's 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 the blood source, and he knows that's a limited time. But he knows he probably knows he's still got a bit of time in him. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's a whole moral grey area, isn't it? The whole gimp feeding death thing. <laughs> well, 
know my feelings on it. So <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say you should put an ad out in the local paper, but that just ages me, doesn't it? <laughs> Number seven says he's happy to embrace the life of excitement. They leave Adam like a pig in shit <laughs> at the the house. But it's not long until they start changing their minds and call them a pair of com- complete and utter kinked up filthy racist arseholes. And then they think, actually, fuck it, let's go and rescue Adam. Adam would have been alright. They wouldn't have fed off Adam because he's a vampire. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a bit discriminatory to the um, or prejudice towards the kink community, but they were That they were did, yeah, I mean well, that so. did <laughs> cross my mind. Would that be written now? There's not many things in being human, I think, oh, that's not aged well, because I think most of it's very forward well you know very woke <laughs> i fucking hate that word but you know what i mean it's very it's very <laughs> encompassing it's very embracing they don't make a lot of edgy jokes which no so i think probably aged poorly i don't think it's the fact that they have orgies or you know they they're a bit kinky i think it's more the fact that Maybe it's just a bad vibe they got, and they they they're racist towards werewolves. Right. So Adam is on his way via an orgy to number seven's sacrifice ceremony. I think we'll call it that. Stacy's mum, from <laughs> calling her Stacy's mum in my notes. I don't even. I'm not that into. <laughs> Stacy's I tell you mom what, has got it going. I, I don't even watch Gavin and Stacy, but I know she's Stacy's mum. Um, I tell you what, Stacey's mum has got it going on. She derobes. De- She's got it going on. I mean, I I would. <laughs> I mean, me and Hannah are there. That's it. Two fa- I'm supposed to be getting married in 2024. <laughs> I'm going to Stacey's mum. <laughs> but that's Stacey's mum. <laughs> on the billion table. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop my... No. Um, stop it. <laughs> It's Adam's fault. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah, so while this Absolutely. is happening, Nina and George, I say break in, but they, who's, who has this massive sex orgy in the house and just leaves leaves the front door slightly ajar? <laughs> <laughs> it's a welcoming environment. You never know who's yeah, going to walk or who needs to escape from the streets. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I do love how quickly they got everything ready, though. Um, like you yeah. know. George and Nina left. Um, I did. I did. I did. Again, this is me thinking a little bit too much about it, but I don't care. Um, I Google mapped it. It takes just over twenty minutes to get from Penarth to Barry. So it took them like twenty minutes, twenty-five half an hour minutes to get back. Um, they realised headed straight back at. <laughs> the time they arrived, full on orgy was going on. It's, it's like wow, they were on it. They had everything ready. All of those attendees were waiting in the rings ring like okay it's almost the time guys it's it almost time do they mention that they yeah. do yes i think yeah in the basement um the game passes yeah. are they from Penarth? sorry I was, I was obviously too focused on his beautiful body <laughs> <laughs> silhouetted against <laughs> um yeah so Nina and george break in and george opens one of the doors gets a sight of one of the orgies he says baby can you remind me to gouge my eyes out with a spoon? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then they I hear the chanting upstairs and they tool <laughs> themselves up. 
and they burst in on the room. Who wants some of my plants? And of course, again, this is another reference to a previous moment in being human. Yeah, yeah. call back to who yeah, wants so some of my chair. It is very self-referential in some ways, isn't it? It has little in-jokes. Yes, and that one's just one of the best ones. It's wonderful. And I love, um, what is the, oh yeah, when he, when George is like, when they yeah. get questioned whether they um, wipe their feet, and George is like, no, but we'll wipe them on the way out, and Nina's like, oh, I would so high-five you right now. I love, oh, that bit yeah, made like... me, oh, giggle, it was wonderful. Yeah, I never really? caught that line until just recently. Yeah, no, I, it just sort of seemed like murmuring, but I had subtitles on this rewatch. Um, Were like, oh you too distracted genius. by Stacey's mum? <laughs> <laughs> I think I was probably just laughing at who wants some of my, my plant. And then okay, let's do a quick survey. Which is funnier? Who wants some of my plant or who wants some of my chair? Oh. I'm going <laughs> to go with plants no. because the fact that it's a reference to something that's happened before and also you burst in a room full of well, a gimp lying on the table about to be fed on by vampires. So, so I think that the humour is even more heightened. Yes, I would. I, I think you... Yeah, I would agree with you there. Okay, so when Adam is asked to choose between George and Nina or the family, he's a bit vague and he's asked to clarify his position. This is another one of my favourite being human moments. Oh yeah, I mean you, George and Nina. I choose you. Well, I don't want this. I mean, it's completely fucked up. Look. <laughs> if it's if it's fucked up by Adam standards, like you well, know, like, yeah, again, again, I mean, though. again, it's all about his hand movements and his just face, just like what the fuck is going on. Again, yeah. this goes back to Adam. It's the bravado, isn't it? Because in when Stacy's mum derobes, his face is just like what and. When George and Nina leave the house earlier, what does Richard say? Something about laying down the oh plastic sheets in the mm. in the bedroom, and, he, and Adam gives a look like what? <laughs> so it, it's it's a world that he's he doesn't he's just he's just a innocent person, but with rude thoughts. But he he doesn't know the realities of it. So when the reality confronts him, he's like, "What the fuck?" Um, yeah, it's just brilliant. And then he goes on to fucking slag them all off. <laughs> George, I, I think you've made your point now. <laughs> oh, I just love this scene so much. They just, I love um, when they leave. I love George's like um, sassy, like putting the plant down yeah. and walking yeah, off. Like, you. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the dropping yeah. of the golf Um Yeah, and then uh, what we thought about the previous six people, number one to six, is that they died of you know, blood loss, sustained blood loss, as they say. But what's interesting about number seven, he seems fairly healthy, but they've obviously got Adam in and gone, well, fuck it, we're going to feed on you and this is we're going to kill you tonight. And then when Adam leaves, they're like, ah, still, we're still doing it. He, he, he's not, I mean, obviously he's died, he'll die of sustained blood loss because he's big, he's going to be killed by a vampire. But you know what I mean? It's, it's like the impression we got before was that they were 50, 60, yeah, they just couldn't they cope anymore. Kill. Their bodies couldn't cope anymore. Whereas number seven, maybe he was just, you know, up for it. Yeah, and they knew, Richard and Emma knew they had me, <laughs> and me. ready and waiting. So 
and me. Like, yeah, we don't need <laughs> no, don't need number seven anymore. Yeah, well, and you as well. well yeah, oh, uh, double act. There we go. Stacey's mum can recruit me, and Richard can recruit you. Oh mm, no, See? no. Mm. <laughs> you can go first. Right. Let's let's get away from with um. Uh, back at yes, the house, uh, Adam is that. back in the living room and Mitchell gives Adam his money. He sees Adam's there. He looks a bit disappointed at first, but he says, oh, you're good people. This is what, it's what you do. And then he does give Adam some advice, though, with the money. Uh, he says, you surround yourself with good people. That's what you do. You find someone better than you because when you fail, you have to deal with their disappointment. And... Ultimately, that is where Series 3 ends up. Pain. So then we get Adam's goodbye at the station, and he still can't be quite earnest enough, and he calls George a square. I thought he calls him a smart-ass. Sad-ass. It might be a sad-ass. No, sad-ass, rather. Yeah, sad-ass. And then he turns down the affections of the blonde that he was trying to attack (laughs) earlier. George seems to think that Adam's going to be alright. I don't know what this is based on. <laughs> he didn't kill that person at that time. It's probably because he sort of pushed mm. her away and didn't even entertain the thought of taking him, taking her with him. He was just like, no, you're not what I need. I don't want you. He knew that she wasn't good for him and he needed to find someone yeah, sort of he, he's listening to Mitchell. Down, no, it's very, very rare I would say you should listen to Mitchell. If there was a book written of Mitchell's <laughs> wise words, it would be a very, very thin book. Um, yeah, I mean, although obviously it doesn't happen because of the spin-off, but they could have both got on that train together and he could have nommed on her on the train. We could have had an equivalent of a Box Tunnel 1 or mm. a Barry, Barry Station 1. <laughs> and then, post- that scene we get a teaser to the next episode we are scanning the corridors of a corridor at the dead of night in the hospital did i say corridors of a corridor i think i did you know what i mean (laughs) too many bloody corridors (laughs) too many corridors then we see a hand press up against the window okay general feelings about this episode because I know there's elements of it that some people might consider quite throwaway, but I think I, I love it. There's too many good lines. The pace of the series after the the previous two episodes is now kicking in. We know where we're going with this series. It, it's just a fun watch to me. It's always been, I think, one of my favourite sort of episodes. Just the humour, as you say, there's like really good lines. It's just funny a bit weird and kinky but it's just just brilliant and then obviously you've got a little bit of Mitchell and Annie mixed in yeah me too can't add much more to that (laughs) it's just a really good enjoyable really funny and I think it's an episode that I've I mean the whole series but I think this episode in particular I've grown to um enjoy a lot more and then when I first watched it as a very (laughs) innocent naive um, I think young Hannah. I enjoy, <laughs> I'm already enjoying series three a bit more than I did. I mean, I have done more so over the years, but more so than at the time because it felt that there was so much hanging on it. 
and obviously the hype around it you know within our being human fans community and the the suspense and not you know not being sure about the George and Annie relation George and Annie Mitchell and Annie relationship I'm not sure about the George and Annie relationship the Mitchell and <laughs> Annie relationship and like not certain bits you know you've got to wait another week and you go on the blog and see what people are saying and blah 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 but now the more distance comes from it I just think yeah it's a really strong mostly series yeah i yeah i think it's very much it's helped hugely by what comes after it and as you said approaching it from a distance and that's um what i saw in the blog in the comments um that i was reading before this podcast of people after just immediately after they'd seen it and there's a huge range of opinions but a lot of people were like oh well it doesn't feel like anything happened in it really it felt like it was just in created entirely to launch the spin-off series and there was no sort of um impact on the narrative um as part of it but actually when you when you look back at it you actually see a lot of it's not a low it's not you know the most important episode in the series and thank goodness because it's only the second one and we had such a dark one to begin with it's great to have this comedy light-hearted one but for example you've got there's a lot of necessary small developments such Mm. as george and nina are playing parents um which is a real nice sort of you know link into um what they discover in um the next episode i believe it is um then um Annie and Mitchell's brewing romance because it doesn't go just from zero to a hundred. You've got this episode to sort of like show Mi- <laughs> Annie attempting to flirt and Mitchell not perhaps being as subtle as he probably could be. Um you've got Richard's introduction, which is key for episode four, and then you've got more threats regarding like the box tunnel twenty, which is now not coming just from humans but also from the vampires as well. So it's all of those things that you don't actually realise. if you are a fan yeah. and you've just watched it without knowing what comes after, I can sort of yeah, see how especially after how strong episode one was, um, I can see okay, maybe some people wouldn't be feeling it, but coming from it now love it and it's yeah i think it's a really packed episode i think there's a lot going on a lot to digest and also yes it might be a slightly comedic episode but you've got to remember we've had three really dark episodes in a row really dark episodes yeah really dark really dark it's time to get back and the rest of the series is super dark as well what I do find, as I mentioned earlier with like Brian Dooley being the writer, is that, of course, Another Fine yeah. Mess was incredibly dark. Probably the, the, the darkest episode of series one. Um, and now he's writing one of the most comedic episodes of the whole yeah, show. Um, so on the blog, was it overwhelmingly a disappointment? or It was just a... Just a mix a real mix i think um most of the complaints there was a lot of discussion about um, annie and mitchell's relationship and a lot of people not being keen on that and about as we've mentioned about annie's characterization in series three um a lot about how what i've mentioned about them feeling it was more of a filler episode um but then a lot of people absolutely found it like they loved it for it being so entertaining um really enjoyed adam's character and it being just a weird 
it's so such a unique episode. Like, how many TV shows mm. do you know that have a weird vampire orgy in them? Like, okay, what we do in the shadows as well. <laughs> exactly, not at that point. Thank you to Hannah and Lauren for coming on the show again. I'll just wrap up things with some posthumous notes. Just to clear some things that we didn't cover in the conversation itself. Uh, before that, just a quick apology. You might have heard a fucking irritating dog yapping for a, probably about four or five minutes during the recording. Um, unfortunately, I can't afford a soundproof studio. My glamorous recordings either take place in my bedroom or my stepson's bedroom when he's not here. Because if I go on the table downstairs, you'll just get the dog snoring. <laughs> in the background uh whether that's a review of my podcast i don't know so yeah i live in an area that's surrounded like literally including us there's about 20 houses all together that just all have dogs um so unfortunately that kind of thing will happen i did edit out a slight moment where she squeezed the, it's two doors down from me she screamed at a dog shut the fuck up and i kind of wish i'd left that in now but yeah the, these kind of things will happen when you're recording on a budget and not in the professional way and just to clear up the broadcasts of Becoming Human, uh, it's just a mad thing to me. It's that little blind spot I have as a Being Human fan, which I only watched it through once. It was originally posted as eight episodes via the BBC website. And then following the episode of Adam's Family, throughout the rest of the series, they broadcast each 10 minute episode after each episode of Series 3. As I say, we will be covering... Becoming Human in our coverage of Series 3 as an extra bonus episode. And I'm looking forward to it because, like I say, it's a blind spot and it's written by Brian Dooley and he does some great episodes of Being Human and Craig Roberts I just love watching on screen. So I don't know why. Maybe maybe it's the accessibility of it because once it was off the blog because you can't really access any videos on that anymore, it was quite difficult to find and then I never went back to it. But yeah, I'm looking forward to covering Becoming Human. And in all the plaudits that we have for Lenora, Russell and Aidan as brilliant comic actors, I think it's also worth noting Sinead Keenan's step up to, I guess, a full-time member of the cast and a housemate and the fact that she's so versatile and she's always had a storyline with George and she's always been a foil to the darker aspects of the story so it's really interesting especially in this episode you see her step up and just be absolutely brilliant at her comic timing uh, what a cast the show has I mean all through all through five series what a cast they have it's so varied what they can do because the script demands it of them and they each main character rises to the occasion so yeah, a little nod to Sinead for a brilliant performance in Adam's Family. Finally, I would like to confirm that this is a podcast that is liberal and pro-kink, pro-swinging, pro-whatever-the-fuck you like, as long as it's consenting. Uh, to be honest, I know a couple of swingers, and uh, if you want their number, get in touch. You can help fund this very unprofessional organisation by going on coffee.com slash boxtunnelpod. There you can donate whatever you like towards the running costs of the podcast. Any money would be gratefully received. This is something I do out of love for the show and out of a passion for it. You can find us on Twitter 
and it is Twitter. It's not bloody X at Box Tunnel Pod on Tumblr at Box Tunnel Pod on Instagram and Facebook as the Box Tunnel Survivors Group. We're hosted by Podbean, but we are also available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Boomplay, Podchasers, uh, pretty much the whole lot. And I'll sign out as I sign in with Dog Scratched Ear by Henry's Funeral Shoe. Don't forget to wipe your shoes on the way out. was the Box Tunnel Podcast, and thanks.